breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. I hope you had a great week. Thanks for coming back. If you're looking for some frank discussion about political Islam, radical Islam, reform, Middle East foreign policy, and, oh, anything else that might be on the radar that uh, is not being covered in the media, as you'd expect, you found the right place and the right podcast. Week to week, we cover the issues that might be a little beyond political correctness, beyond the woke crowd, and have a frank discussion about what to expect from Muslim patriots, Muslim reform, and what to do against radical Islamists. A lot to cover this week again. We're going to talk about the ceasefire, whether to believe it or not, in Israel and Gaza. We're also going to talk about this uh, uh, counter-extremism group that seems to have been released with a list of folks from the Biden administration that should horrify you. And also, we will talk about the Pakistani Prime Minister, Foreign Minister, who did an interesting interview on CNN. Yes, on CNN was pushed back about his rank anti-Semitism. And I think there's a lot to learn there when it comes to anti-Semitism. So why don't we start with that? So this interview began on CNN a few days ago with uh, Foreign Minister Shah Mahmoud Qureshi, one of the, after a UN meeting about the Israeli-Palestinian crisis. And uh, CNN interviewed him. The uh, anchor was uh, Biana Golodriga. And uh, she did a pretty good job. He opened up by saying that there's been a wholesale shift in the uh, attitudes globally, that there's been now exposure. Israel's uh, uh, cloak of innocence or whatever has been removed, and now the uh, media, according to this Qureshi, has been exposed as being in the pocket, the deep pockets of uh, the Jews, and uh, she goes on to say, "This is uh, these are anti-Semitic tropes." And Qureshi responds and says, "This is perception. This is reality. This is facts." And uh, uh, he he dug his heels in. And then, when the interview was posted, you had Islamist after Islamist back uh, back slapping Qureshi with the tens of thousands from Pakistan to Iran to the West, from London to the U.S basically thanking him for standing up against him, that she proved the media is controlled by the Jews. And the reality, obviously, anyone who has three brain cells working knows that that's not the truth, that uh, the progressivists, if anything, have proven that uh, the the opinion, as you look at what happens in the UN, and I don't even believe I, I have to actually uh, prove this, but just, just to show how I- insulting and anti-Semitic is the the significant leadership of the Pakistani government, the Islamic Republic of Pakistan. Over half of the resolutions that go through the UN are not about the Uyghurs. They're not about Iran's uh, uh, slaughter of innocents, uh, of gays, of, of apostates, of free speech advocates. It's not about Assad. It's about Israel. And the, the long decades-old conflict with numbers that have been injured 
in the hundreds to thousands over 10, 20 years in comparison to systematic extermination that's happening in other countries against Muslims, often by Muslims or by Chinese or by Russians or others. But the bottom line is, is that, you know, it's interesting in my Facebook page, I had a a couple responses this week to this post that, oh, I'm uh, the most anti-Muslim Muslim they know, and this is absurd. I should not be, uh, I should be exposing the realities. And I said, you know, I'll put my record up against anyone any day of the week of the Islamists about how pro-Muslim I am. I just don't allow the corrupt establishment that is hypocritical and colossally corrupt in what they do to represent Muslim interests and turn a blind eye to what they do and then blame everything on some other faith, some other community in a bigoted, anti-Semitic way. And Qureshi proves this week in spades that not only does he not understand how tropes that generalize about the media, about finances, about Western uh, influence, that, that generalizes about Jewish influence, the reason that is so evil, it demeans a people, it demeans, uh, not only is it false, but it then implies that they are oppressing the rest of humanity through their conspiratorial control of whatever industry that might be. Now, that's obvious to, to most of you, I'm sure, as far as why that's anti-Semitic and why it's bigoted to, to mention those things on national television and at the UN and by governmental leaders in Pakistan. But we've seen this through the president of Malaysia, who also made similar tropes, uh, the uh, many of the clerics in Saudi Arabia and the Palestinian areas in Iran and elsewhere constantly make these tropes about the influence of the Jews and their control. And what this does is it then demonizes them, dehumanizes them, and thus makes violence against them tolerable because it's similar to Violence against a dictator, violence against corrupt people, and those conspiracy theories are rampant in Islamist circles. They're rampant in theocratic fascists like Islamists, because that's how they control through a Machiavellian deferral of hating the other. And the tropes against the Jews that comes from the protocols of the elders of Zion that is is an old fabrication from Russia, from Tsarist Russia, about the Jewish community. And that fabrication has been translated to Arabic and distributed over the last century. And we must confront that. There are groups now, Rahil Raza is leading a group, Council of Muslims Against Anti-Semitism, and our Muslim Reform Movement leaders are a significant portion, part of that organization and coalition. But we must, we must expose, when you have idiots and bigots like Shah Mahmoud Qureshi, the foreign minister of Pakistan, digging his heels in and not even admitting that his statements were opened with rank anti-Semitism and bigotry, you know how deep the problem of Islamism is. And it must be exposed. And hats off to uh, Brianna, uh, Brianna Golodriga, 
for pushing him on these issues and exposing the reality. Because when you see violence now in the streets of Los Angeles and New York, across the country against Jews, it's not surprising. We called it, right? Many in the conservative movement called it and said when the Black Lives Matter movement was arm-in-arm with Louis Farrakhan, when the Women's March was arm-in-arm with the Nation of Islam and Farrakhan and its anti-Semitism, when the Code Pink folks were visiting Tehran and celebrating the Khomeinists there, and the uh, uh, left and the red-green axis was working together, is working together at the UN with Venezuela and Iran and China and Iran and all the other global far-left and Islamist axes working together. That brew will ultimately boil over on the streets to be anti-Semitic bigotry, to be anti-American, in which our closest allies, our citizens will be targeted. And that's what happened. And I have to say, when you look at the coverage of what's happening in Israel and with the red-green axis, you have to ask a question. The question that has to be asked is, is uh, uh, why are there no reports on the colossal hypocrisy and rank promiscuity of Hamas, as well as all of its Muslim supporters vis-a-vis Iran? And uh, let me tell you why this is so important. When you approach a antagonist in, in a war, you need to understand what is the context of the wars that these, uh, this, this movement, Hamas, which is an offshoot of the Muslim Brotherhood, the Palestinian offshoot, Harakat al-Islamiyyah, which is what H-A-M-A-S stands for in Arabic, uh, to be short, and uh, that Islamic movement is a political Islamist Sharia movement that has condoned terror and is still on the terror list of our U.S. State Department, despite its election and, and other aspects. That the fact that it was it won an election does not in any way change that its motives and its charter is anti-Semitic. It calls for killing Jews. Behind every stone, as it quotes what they believe to be Islamic scripture, some of us don't believe that's authentic, uh, but that's neither here nor there. The point is, is that Hamas is a radical ideology and has controlled the the Palestinian areas uh, through a veneer of providing services and clinics and schools and things like that. So uh, it then uh, allows it to dominate the community. And as I've said last last episode, uh, I talked about why we hope for some day that the Palestinian movement and community has an Arab awakening, has its own awakening against its own tyrants from the two-headed snake of the Mahmoud Abbas's wing of Fatah and the secularists and also Hamas, which have been mutually and in many ways mirroring each other's corruption. But to me, if you're going to report on this conflict and report on Hamas, one of the biggest news stories should be the fact that there's a history of Hamas's relationship with bad actors in the region. Before 2011, when the Syrian revolution began, Khaled Mesh'al and the leadership of Hamas had its headquarters. One of its primary headquarters was in Damascus. 
and it had entertained and and enjoyed a close relationship with the Baathist National Socialist Fascist regime of Hafez and then Bashar Assad for decades. And that allowed its arms. It's it's uh, also then was one of the reasons why there was no as many uh, Israeli leaders have said there will be no peace unless it goes through Damascus was because the leaders of the Palestinian movement were headquartered there. Then you have the then you have 2011 and the Arab awakening, and you have a revolution that begins. And initially, Hamas did not take the side of the revolution, which is why the revolution at its most genuine and most authentic roots was for the first six to eight months. But then slowly the Islamists started to say, oh, it looks like Assad's leaving. It looks like this regime's days are numbered. That was before Russia got involved, before Tehran and Iran threw in soldiers and weapons and money, etc., to prop up its client state in Syria. And they slowly, the Islamists got more involved and they pull out their headquarters and started to join the Syrian Muslim Brotherhood, join the Islamists, the pre and post and peri-ISIS types. And there were many permutations of the rebels. Some of the rebels, I think, were honorable as they, these regular Syrian families fought against the Assad regime. And other groups of the rebels were Islamists and radicals and uh, condoning and working with the Turks and the Qataris and the Saudis and, and other radical Islamists. But bottom line is, is that that then withdrew out of that airspace, if you will, out of the Assad-Iran continuum. Then you go year after year, and now we're looking at almost 10 years post-revolution, and Assad has basically defeated the revolution. Hamas has regained and reclaimed its relationship with Assad, as the Turks have, as Iran also is navigating a mediation of that sort of reclaiming the Islamist axis. That, On the one hand, you may say, well, wait a minute. Iran is Shia Islamist, Khomeinist. Assad is Shia Islam, is secularist, but Shia, and in the Iranian orbit. Hezbollah, Shia radical terror group. And so what are they doing working with Hamas, the Sunni Muslim Brotherhood? Well, that's the same. What's Qatar doing working so closely economically and theologically and propagandistically with Iran? What's Turkey Sunni Muslims doing working with Iran so closely for decades. It's because they have a common movement to try to recreate the caliphate, to try to bring the Dar al-Islam, the land of Islam, against the land of war, the land of the West, the land of contract, some call it, Aqad, living in a contract under the legal system of the West. But the Islamists want to see them rise. And so Hamas, when it abandoned the revolution, quickly somehow pivoted right back to the Assad-Iranian axis and now started to again get rockets back, get missiles, get arms from them, and money to help them build tunnels, etc. So 
back to the report of now that I've laid that groundwork for you. How is this promiscuity, this corruption of Hamas, if there's so much for Muslim lives, so much for Muslim freedom, they, they abandoned, they were supposedly for, for the dis- defeat of the Assad regime. Now they're working back with Iran. It looks like the Palestinian Islamic Jihad component of Hamas, by the way, openly on multiple television interviews this past week or two has acknowledged and proudly said that they've gotten support and the weapons from Iran and they will continue to do so. And there's more missiles where those came from, as they said, during the ceasefire, claiming victory during the ceasefire. So where is the reporting that a regime that is responsible for the genocide of 600,000 Muslims and Syrians in Syria, a regime that, that, like Iran, that has also worked closely with China and fueled the genocide of the Uyghur Muslims in the millions, and all of the other terror through Hezbollah, through Yemen, and the Houthis, and others. How is Hamas not held to account in reports in the news media because if they did that it would show what they really are it would then take away their public support because right now there is significant because of the black lives matter movement and the left's sort of agitation agitprop agitation propaganda they they are, are chanting from ferguson to jerusalem and all these things where they're bringing together sort of the streets demonstrations for equity and equality and other things now they have lumped in the palestinian social justice movement and hamas is not about social justice hamas has hijacked these movements for its own ascension and own terror that it seeks to destroy its own communities it's not as it has been running palestinian areas for decades now and uh, they can't continue to blame it on the jews They can't continue to, in a bigoted way, blame it on Israel and other communities when, in fact, they're the ones squandering the hundreds of millions that they've been given. And the timing, I talked about this last week, right? The timing, as Biden said he was going to open up purse strings and give back over $100 million to the Palestinians, as they saw more money coming, they knew that their terror machine could get fueled. They knew that they would then have a chip at the bargaining table of an appeaser like Biden, as he talked about it, that they would be able to then say, oh, well, we will stop and cease attacks. We will cease the war if you give us this or if you give us that. Because if they're not violent, if they're not fighting a battle then there's no bargaining chip for them against appeasers like Biden and his administration. And that was the purpose of why a conflict was made all of a sudden out of Sheikh Jarrah, which has been there with few families here and there debating on whether they're leaving or coming or what's happening in the court system. There's no signs of any of that happening. And I think now I want to talk about a great letter that was written by a Palestinian Muslim by the name of Bassam Eid. Bassam wrote a great brief letter to the Palestinian people, and I, I'm just going to read it to you. I think that uh, it's, a, it's a minute well spent, 
to read this to you, a minute or two. And uh, it sort of points out things. Even I, as a Syrian American, cannot pretend that I know exactly the plight of the Palestinians. I, I don't. I'm not Palestinian. Um, but certainly in a, as a human rights advocate, I'd like to see their human rights acknowledged. And it starts by reform at home with them. Bassam Eid wrote, I know that the past 10 days have been incredibly devastating and equally bewildering. Why is the world letting the Israelis do this to you? I'm writing to you, my Palestinian brothers and sisters, to open your eyes from the disinformation that your real captor, Hamas, is feeding you. To my brethren in Palestine, I I implore you, please do not let Hamas brainwash you into thinking it has achieved anything on our behalf. Do not fail, do not fall prey to its lies and manipulations. Hamas is not a social justice movement, and it certainly does not care about me or you. It is a criminal gang that only cares about increasing its own power at all of our expense. And why isn't the media reporting this? Because the Palestinians must stay, and Hamas must stay always sympathetic. It's terror, it's, it's relationship with some of the most vicious, terroristic, and oppressive theocratic regimes on the planet doesn't matter. The fact that its missiles are from Iran, the fact that it's working, it doesn't matter. Let's get back to Bassem's letter. Speaking to Palestinians, he said, Your lives start to improve only when the Hamas reign of terror finally ends. Only then will you actually taste the fruits of real peace with your Jewish cousins. Yes, I know that to some in the media, Hamas has more or less achieved its goal in this vile, destructive war it started 10 days ago. It has spread fake news about Sheikh Jarrah being the core of Jewish aggression. It has incited violent riots at Al-Aqsa by falsely claiming that the Jews are going to destroy Al-Aqsa when that has never been true. This is such an important point. They're always perpetrating this concept that the the Zionists are all about changing the shape and the character of Al-Aqsa. It's about an end of times, eschatology, etc. It's just not true. And then it exploited the situation it created by starting a war with Israel to then justify its rocket attacks. All the while, Hamas showed Palestinians a clear contrast between its ability to act and Prime Minister Mahmoud Abbas and his Fatah party's inability to do much of anything. It is, invi- it is vitally important, Bassam tells his brethren, for you to realize and remember that Hamas is the main cause of suffering for you. It is Hamas that ignored warnings that water wells were growing too salty from overpumping, leading to a point where Gaza's tap water isn't safe to drink. It is Hamas that diverted much of the massive humanitarian supplies meant for you that Israel has been allowing in daily in hundreds of trucks. It is Hamas that has been stealing the cement and metal from the imports meant to build houses for you so that it could spend dollars, billions of dollars on massive subterranean network of tunnels for its purpose only. And when it came to war with the Israelis in the past 10 days, Hamas deliberately used you as human shields, stationing rocket launchers and missile arsenals in your homes, apartments, offices, hospitals, just as it did in 2014. And now Hamas has been carelessly shelling the most highly populated regions of Israel with no specific target or strategy. And he knows from many, as much as 25% of the rockets launched crash within Gaza 
That has resulted in Hamas killing as many as 50 of the civilians that it falsely blames on Israel. And his letter goes on. And he says, think about the number of Palestinians who are now homeless in Gaza because Hamas chose to side and hide weapons in residential buildings. And when hostilities end, you can be sure that it won't be the people of Gaza representatives of your true interests, but the Hamas gang that will be cutting the lucrative financial compensation deals with Qatar and European NGOs to quote-unquote rebuild Gaza. Remember who got rich last time after the 2014 war with Israel. Hamas will do the exact same thing. It will spend its next installments of Qatari money to replenish its arsenal rather than rebuild homes, purchase COVID vaccines, or provide social services to the people while it continues terror attacks on Israeli citizens. He ends, it is a tragedy that life is about to get worse for Palestinians in Gaza, but it is all the fault of Hamas. It planned and provoked a military confrontation to improve its political standing, and we will all suffer for it. I urge you to open your eyes and see past the Hamas deception. No matter how many Jews it manages to kill, Hamas will have achieved nothing that benefits ordinary Palestinians. Hats off to Bassem for a great, a great letter that points out what most of us could not do as clearly as he can as a Palestinian. And I think he said it all. It's interesting. This week, CARE put out a press release, not a press release, I'm sorry, put out a donation solicitation, which said from the lead Hamas supporter, and he had Awad, its founder, who most FBI documents have been clearly corroborated in court to show that in 1991 meeting in Philadelphia and in 93 that essentially the Hamas supporters, the Hamas chapter of the Muslim Brotherhood here in the United States formed CARE. He wrote to, uh, this week, I write to share some important news with you. These are the, the emails going to CARE supporters. For several days, CARE has been fighting a massive cyber attack against our organization using tens of millions of bots Hackers have launched waves of attack against our website, briefly disrupting access to it. Alhamdulillah, our IT team has repelled these cyber attacks and reestablished access to our website. Now, interesting that I didn't Google it as you listen to this. Were there any news reports about attacks on the CARE website that were verified? Now, I'm not... I have no evidence that they made this up and also no evidence that it's true. But corroborating journalists constantly reporting about cyber attacks that shut down banks, that shut down uh, uh, pipelines, that shut down whatever it is. And now in the era of woke culture, we don't seem to think it's a news story that the so-called leading civil rights organization for Muslims in America was attacked. But no, their point here is not to get the facts out, it's just to raise more money. Although cyber attacks against CARE, Awad said, happen regularly, we are defeat hacking attempts on almost a daily basis. This sophisticated attack is the worst we've ever experienced, and it appears to have multiple places of origin, including the Middle East. So they're blaming Israel. Or Saudi Arabia, maybe, one of the Abraham Accord countries. UAE, who knows? That's what they're blaming. 
And why now, they said? Well, CARE has empowered thousands of American Muslim community members to communicate with their members of Congress to vocally condemn the Israeli government's violence against the Palestinian people. Nothing about Hamas. Nothing. Spoken like true Hamas supporters that they are. And they talk about the dead Palestinians, but nothing about the dead Israelis. So, under cyber attack, huh? Prove it. Show the news stories. And if that's true, they're raising money on that. Why would they be attacked? Are they really that operationally relevant for the Palestinian movement that uh, security agencies in Israel or elsewhere would be worried about shutting them down? I mean, God, they, they, they doth protest too much and, and, and see themselves as a little self-important, don't they? But, again, that's typical for the American Muslim Brotherhood uh, legacy groups and their attempt to continue to push the false narrative of victimization and, and uh, uh, raise money on the heels of that. Last, today, I want to talk to you about, there's a list that the Biden administration that was starting to circulate in which the Pentagon decided to create a countering extremist working group, CEWG, and they created subcommittees that included advocacy groups, academia, and other experts. Now, there used to be always Homeland Security working group, etc. So some type of permutation of this has existed in the past. You'll remember the con- the, the the controversy with Mohammed Elbieri, who ran a group here in Texas called, I think, the Justice and Freedom and Development uh, uh, Foundation, which sounded eerily like the Muslim Brotherhood uh, uh, translation, <laughs> what the Egypt Egyptian Brotherhood Party is called though he denied all of that, but uh, he certainly was uh, Qutubian in his support, backed up and felt that Sayyid Qutub was misunderstood, yada, yada, yada. That's not the subject today. But this countering extremism group is nothing about countering, but seems to be pretty extreme. Who is on it? It includes Hina Shemsi of the ACLU. You get a twofer there, an Islamist and a far leftist. Munar Wahid, ACLU. SPLC, the ADL, the Brennan Center, Faiza Patel. Brennan Center, I'll have you reminded, was the organization that testified against us when we talked about the need to change from countering violent extremism to countering violent Islamism, or at least focus more narrowly on Islamism, and they falsely said that the Obama administration was too anti-Muslim and Islamophobic, etc., and used data that was could not withstand the light of day. And then other experts include Wa'il Al-Zayat from M-Gage. M-Gage has a pack which Biden spoke to and used to engage Muslim voters, and now apparently this blatant campaign organization of Islamist advocacy now has a seat on this extremism, not countering. The only thing they're going to be counting is Americanism. But promoting extremism working group is what they should be called. And then you have Iman Bukadum 
from the Leadership Conference and Ali Soufan from the Soufan Center. Soufian or Soufian Center. There's no I there, so I think it's Soufan Center. An organization that has been an apologist for Muslim Brotherhood groups and Islamists, including significant Qatari affiliation and sympathies. It's just amazing that this group seems to uh, uh, carry the imprimatur of a countering extremism working group. And I'm sure they'll come out, as we've seen now, the U.S. Army is promoting that it will start to focus on climate change. That's just insanity. Climate change? The U.S. Army put out tweets, Facebook posts, social media posts that it is going to start to focus on climate change. That is not only insane, I have to tell you, the Assad regime and others have been using that propaganda to say the revolution was about the drought and climate change. While certainly there's always weather stressors that can make plights extreme or worse during war, but to imply that somehow our military should spend its resources on climate change is just the layers of stupidity is, is, is inexplicable to me. Now, there is one member on this list from Memory, which is the Middle East media monitoring organization that does unbelievable work, but I don't know who that individual is. It's Anat Agron, and uh, we'll see if that person is able to bring any balance to the rest of this list of folks that should really worry most people that they're not really doing significant work on countering Islamism or other elements of radicalization that we see. So, a lot to come, a lot happening every week, and I'm honored that you decided to spend a little time with me today as we discuss what should be the priorities and the elements that should be exposed as we look at the Israeli-Palestinian crisis, we look at the war that and the battle that had to happen. Thank God they have a ceasefire. The Palestinians are trying to, the Hamas wing of the Palestinians are trying to claim that they had victory, as they always will. But time will tell them exactly what happened and how much resources were lost because of their aggression and their exaggeration of what was happening at Sheikh Jarrah. The hypocrisy of working with Iran, we talked about, cares hackery for donation dollars. Always a lot, and it's a joy to talk to all of you. So tune in next week on Reform This. Find me on social media at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R, and at Reform This Radio on Twitter. And always, please share this with your friends and... We will see you next week. God bless. Zuk Jash on Reform This. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.